morning. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed to walk over here. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade. I wasn't here last week. Um, I took a, a little vacation and went to go visit a friend, um, listened to him preach, which was, it was really good to hear. Um, but I, I just missed you guys. So don't get a big head. Uh, but it's just different when you come home. And so since you guys didn't get to hear me preach last week, I thought I'd give you two sermons today. Um, no? Okay. So um, there's, there's a lot going on in the... What did you say? What? <laughs> Jerry's going to preach now. All right. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, and before we go into this, because of all the things going on in our families, in our, in our personal lives, and, and things going on, sometimes we do need to just stop. Uh, we need to let go of some things, and what I want to do today is actually practice that, and so let's go to God and pray right now. Lord, we have so many things in this world that are causing division, divisive attitudes, actions, um, policies. We, we have things that are trying to pull us apart and spiritually. And, and God, right now, with the unrest that is trying to permeate our families and our churches, we just got to stop and ask that you would speak. That no matter what happens, that we would look to your hand and we would listen for your voice. And today, as we look into to Psalms, to hear that, we ask that you'd speak in a mighty way and help us all grow in that strength and that faith with you. And in Jesus, we all pray. Amen. I, I do want to make a, a quick announcement. We have new members again um, who have joined the, the fellowship, the family here of the church, and that is uh, Jennifer and Faith Cooter. They're right over there. Um, one of them has kind of greenish hair, just in case you didn't know. Um, she's Faith. Okay. So uh, just welcome, and Jacob, he's not here today, uh, but just make sure they're, they're wanting to join in the family that's here, a family of faith, so we can continue the mission that God has given us. This year, we've been studying the life of David. Uh, we've journeyed through the books of 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Samuel, and Kings, um, and from there, we moved into the book of Psalms. God calls David a man after his own heart, and this is catapulted him to be, David, to be one of the recognized heroes of our faith. But it's also pushed him to be considered someone better than all of us. That David is somehow a, a better, closer person to God than we could ever consider to be. And yet, as we kept looking through scriptures, what we saw was David encountered times where he chose sin over following God. His experience... He experienced the sins of doubt, the sins of lying. David chose the sin of unforgiveness and the sin of murder. Yet the best known of his sin was with Bathsheba, and then the sins he did to try and cover that up. Through David's life, he consistently tripped himself into sins. Yet when he finally looked at sin, when he finally took his eyes and actually looked at it, and then back at the holiness of God, David would worship God. He would repent and uh, change the course of his own actions. And this is what makes David a man after God's own heart. It's not his perfection in so many things, because he didn't have that. It's not that David's heart was pure and holy, 
but that in him, even though he had this sin streak, his inner desire was ultimately to be closer to God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. And even though he was a man after God's own heart, he couldn't truly be in the presence of God just like we can't. And that's because we have all chosen sin. And God does not tolerate sin. We really know this, but I think sometimes we kind of forget it. God does not tolerate that. Sin is a direct violation of who God is and who God created us to be. While sins rage in their personal consequences, such as stealing a piece of candy to stealing $2 million, they're both a sin, but they have different consequences here on earth. Every sin, every sin is against God. No matter the size of the earthly punishment, every sin is deserving of eternal punishment. No matter the earthly consequence. Because instead of looking at the various sizes and degrees of sins, we just need to look at sin is a violation against God. With that, we come to Psalm 38. I want to ask you if you go ahead and turn there and, and look at that, whether it's in your digital or um, your physical. For those who may not know, we do use the U version, the Bible app. I, it wasn't working today, so you can't use it today. Well, we strike that last announcement. Pay no attention to the, the voice behind the curtain. So you can use the Bible app. Everything that's on the screen should also be in the Bible app, and it'll help you. You can add your own notes to it and stuff. I want you to know that is something I personally do. So sometimes I mess up, like a few weeks ago, instead of Psalms, I put in Job, and it screwed the people up. They're like, where are we today? And that, that's because I personally do it to show that I'm not perfect. I'm close, but I'm not perfect. So... But we come to Psalm 38, and so you can look at that. You can use the U version on that. And this psalm is called a penitent psalm, one of the penitent psalms. Penitent is um, repentive, sorrowful, remorseful. And remember, psalms are poetry made to be with music, okay? And so I want you to look. This is how this song is broke down. Right here you can see. Verses 1 through 2 are a plea for help. Verses 3 through 8 are a description of his suffering. The next section is desires that David lifts up in song, the desires he needs for God. Then he goes back to a description of alienation. His desires are lifted up to God again. And then final plea for help. This is the breakdown of this song, this psalm. This psalm describes consequences that David has in his life as a result of his sins that he chose. In here we're going to see physical misery, anxiety, guilt, and all of them rolled together. And through that, David has a consuming love for God, and yet, even though he's a man after God's own heart, even though he has this consuming love for God, he still has to suffer consequences for his actions. If we just hold Psalm 38, but we're going to jump up to Psalm 42. This is how David describes his uh, relationship with God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul 
pants for you, O God. My soul thirsty for God, for the living God. David knows, as, as clearly as any other human, that without God, he is hopeless. That his sins put him at odds with God. That his sins put him as the enemy of God. And his soul thirsts for God. The God he adores, the God in whom he passionately delights in, he constantly betrays. And so he's got this battle within him. This isn't new. Don't we all suffer the same thing? We want to be close to God, and yet we also want to do this action, this sin, this activity that's at odds against it. There's this dynamic tension between God and those sins that plague us. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 7. Paul says this, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing what's wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Now, that's confusing. Okay, it sounds like a five-year-old. I want to do it, but I didn't. I don't want to do it, but I did. I want to do it, right, but I don't do it, and it's not doing it in me. It's his fault. That's kind of what Paul sounds like here, but what he's really saying is, there is a fight in me. I want to do what's right, but that sinful part of me keeps taking over. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably, inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, that is still within me. Look at 24. Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. What Paul is describing here is what we're going to read in Psalm 38. There is this battle within me. I want what is right, but I also keep doing this. I want to honor God, but yet I want this. And there's a battle within us. And Paul says right there, deliver me from this body of death. That's a curious way to describe this. Paul's condition of body of death. What is it, could he be referring to? Well, I read Bert Kaufman. He says this. There seems to be an allusion to an ancient custom of some of the tyrants. These aren't God's people, but tyrants. They would bind a dead body to a living person and oblige that person to carry that body around until the contagion from the putrid mass took away their life. So if you murdered somebody, you would have this person tied to you. And then you'd have to live your life the best you could with this rotting death bound to you. We all know what happens if you have a bad apple in a good bushel, right? The bad corrupts. Well, just put that imagery strapped to you in this. That's gross. How many of you would want to say, hey, did you see what happened to, you know, Leonard over there? We should invite him over for dinner. You don't want him in your house because of what he's going to smell like and look like, and you're not going to want to eat. And so it not only would contaminate his physical, but it's going to contaminate the mental and the emotional and the social. And Paul is saying, this death, this sin I choose is like it's bound to me. Who's going to save me from this body of death that I have bound myself to? 
That is what sin's like. When we choose to sin, we are carrying around death. When we choose to sin, we bind ourselves to that death of our sin. Paul's living like that in that civil war within him about wanting to choose God and wanting to choose sin. Now let's turn to Psalm 38. This is what David's doing. Verses 1 and 2. Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath. Do not punish me in your burning anger, for your, your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hands pressed down on me. David here is saying, God, I have sinned, but don't punish me. Again, doesn't it sound like a little five year I, I didn't mean to do it. I don't deserve the punishment. The weight of his sins are unbearable to him. But more than that, the weight of God's punishment is pushing him down. It's crushing him. When we truly come to understand the weight of our sins, it is heavy on our hearts and our minds. Verse 3, there is no healthy part in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my guilty deeds have gone over my head like a heavy burden that weighs that uh, they weigh too much for me. The word for for, in verse 4, if you see it right there, for my guilty um, deeds, in the original language actually should be because. Because of my guilty deeds. Because of my sins. The trouble David describes in this are because of my choices, my sins. We all need to first address something here. And, and this, this, I think, should hit us pretty hard. In here, if you're looking, there's no healthy part of my flesh because of my indignation. There's no healthy part of me. And, and the word health here, because of this verse and others similar to it, we have this idea that when something bad happens to us physically, when we get an illness, when we get a... Uh, uh, I forgot the word. When the doctor gives you the diagnosis, oh, then we think, well, God is punishing me. I have done something, and therefore this problem is on me because of my sin. And that is not true. That is not true. That is a very dangerous and false theology. The idea that sicknesses are a punishment for sin was put on trial in the book of Job. Job had sicknesses, and they were not because of his sin. Scripture Scripture clearly shows that while God can use sicknesses as a punishment, not all sicknesses are a result of sin. Not all of them are. Some can be, but that is not always the result. And so we cannot just sit there and say, oh, I've sinned, God's mad at me, and that's why I'm sick. Job shows us that. Here in Psalm 38, while it seems like David is talking about physical health, what he's really talking about is how his sins are affecting his health. Not God is doing this, but as a result of his sins, the guilt and the calamity is causing problems in him. Do we realize that sins affect us? When we are under a burden of our guilt, of our sin, it affects our attitudes and our actions. You can... Um, when you go into schooling for being a lawyer and stuff, they'll tell you that when someone's on the stands, 
when they start getting a little shaky, when they're starting to get agitated and they're starting to sweat, that's showing that you're about to reveal the truth. Because the weight of it is starting to get on. They do the same thing for police when they're doing interrogations. If you see this, that means they're about to spill their guts on it. Because the weight of what they've done is on them. It affects our actions and our attitudes. It causes anxiety and depression. When, we are, when there is somebody who is struggling with a really bad decision and things that are going on, and they don't address it, it can cause severe anxiety and depression. The weight of our sins can cause ulcer. Fatigues, worry. Studies have even shown that it causes heart attacks. The weight of our sin affects us. David is feeling that here. His sin choices are causing him physical ill. It's not that God has caused him physical ill. It's that his guilt has manifested to change that. His sin choices. And in the first two verses, David says, do not punish me, do not be angry. And when I first read that, I thought, what an audacious claim. How dare David say, do not hold me according to the punishment I deserve. Shouldn't David welcome this time as a time of punishment and redirection? David's own son would write in Proverbs 3, look what it says. Solomon, the one who was the wisest and dumbest guy in the world, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when He corrects you, for the Lord corrects those He loves just as a father corrects a child in whom He delights. So why didn't David, a man after God's own heart, actively seek to embrace this discipline, knowing it would benefit him, not be a deterrent? Why do we do the same thing? I think... Part of it is that pride. I don't want to acknowledge that I've sinned. I don't want to point to that because ultimately that points to how much of an affront I am to God. David knows he's sinned. He acknowledges his sin. And yet he goes to God and asks for something that is just audacious to ask. And he asks for mercy. Our culture, and unfortunately... This thinking has permeated the church, and it believes that people should not be held accountable or reap the consequences of their wrong. That you can just pass the buck. That, well, I act this way because of this. I, I get away with this because I have this in my background. And as many people as I heard point fingers of, are you serious? You're doing that. It's not a new thing. It's just rolling a little faster. We all do this. If I ran into your car with my Yukon, I just see you and you're in my parking space, so I bump you out of the way, I need to pay for the damages, right? Because I did something wrong, and my insurance would pay for it, and then I pay for it in my insurance. Therefore, I need to pay. God does not tolerate sin, and sin must be answered. It has to. Because God doesn't tolerate, because of His purity, because of His holiness. And yet we still choose to sin. Sin must be answered. And David knows that. And his answer is to go to Him and say, give me mercy instead. He isn't trying to escape consequences. You can tell that in the next few. Verse 8, or 9, I mean. But Lord, all my desire is before You. And my sighing is not 
hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that, has gone from me. With the weight of his sin, he's struggling with it, but he lays it down. The song focuses, the changes focus here. David says, all my desires are before my God, before you. You know what that phrase told me when I saw and I had to read that again? Lord, don't punish me. Give me mercy. All my punish, all my desires are before you. And that phrase told me there is a relationship. David here is seeking restoration of that relationship. But I love that in the middle of this pain that he's feeling, this weight of his guilt, who does he talk to? He sings to God. It shows there's still a relation. How many times when we've sung, we think... Where when we sin, we think, I can't talk to God. He won't hear me. He won't let me into His presence. I have sinned, and therefore I have cast Him away, and so I cannot do it. I must fix it first. And what does David do? He falls before Him, says, it's all here, God. I just want you. The prodigal son, what did he do? Once he finally left... Once he lost all of his money, he sits there and he's feeding pigs. And he goes, that looks good. I've fed pigs. That never looks good. You imagine how hungry you have to be to want to eat slop. And all the way home, he, he figures out, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell my dad, I don't deserve it. Hire me as this hand and, and I'll be nothing more to you than a servant. And he's practicing this, practicing this all the way there. He finally gets there and says, dad, I'm not worthy. And this, the father grabs him. Forget that little rehearsing you did. Let me show you mercy and give you what you don't deserve. David here, he's falling down with, I don't deserve it. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to wrap him back up and show him mercy. David is seeking restoration despite the feelings of guilt and sin. There's a desire to be in fellowship with God. And I love the fact that even here, when he's struggling with his sin, he recognizes there is a relationship that God still wants to have with us. In Psalm 51, David opens his heart and mind, confessing all of his sins. I mean, he actually lays them out and he names them. Here in Psalm 38, he, he doesn't name them. He just says, I'm guilty. Why, why doesn't David actually verbalize what his sins are. You know, confess them here. The easy answer is, I don't know. But the, the real answer is, I do know that as humans, sometimes we just can't confess. We can't, we're not ready to confess. Maybe because of stubbornness. Maybe there's a sense that we haven't suffered enough for our sins. We, we must suffer a little bit more and then I'll acknowledge them. But we don't confess. And David here just confesses, I have sinned. But his focus is not on the sin. Even if it's not a full confession, these verses can confirm that there still exists a relationship with God. If you're struggling right now, if there's something that's been pulling at you, weighing on you like David was just, just describing, why don't you grab hold of these verses? Know that God is still sitting there waiting to give you that mercy. Waiting to grab you like that prodigal son and turn you into the rightful child of the king. 
Let's go on, verse 11. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away from me. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Notice here what he's done. He's talked about my sins, my God, and now he's talking about what his sins have done to other people. Sin does not just impact us. It impacts our relationship, not just with God, but our sins also impact our community, our family, our community of faith, the church, as well as those outside of it. Just take, for example, think about a church member that gets indicted. A church member who commits adultery. Think about how the whole church, the community of faith, is impacted by that person. How there are now rumors and thoughts going out outside of the church from unbelievers and what they're saying about it. What is it said back in the 80s? If you wore a scarlet letter in church, what did that say you were? Divorced. Oh, we, we didn't want to talk about that. They are divorced or their parents are divorced. And it caused problems. I, I had people who treat me differently because my mom was divorced. Oh, you're a divorced kid. Oh. Yeah, so what? But we, we get these labels put on us and it impacts the whole community. When we choose to sin... It not only affects us, but it affects our family, and that includes the church. This is not a to-each-their-own type faith. Your sins affect me. My sins affect you. David feels this in this moment. His guilt, his sins have caused the people around him to pull away. And because of these sins, David deserves this isolation. And we need to remember, sin is always a choice. Either we purposely chose to do it, or through bad choices we stumble into it, we still chose to do it. And because of sins, David deserves this. Sins between us are very destructive to our relationships. Jesus taught this in the sermon. Look what it says, Matthew 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you. Wait a minute. It's not that they have offended you. It's you have offended them. They have something against you. Leave your gift. Don't even worship. That's what he's saying. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come after your gift. You want to worship me? Great. But if you have a brother who has something against you because you've sinned against them, go fix that before you worship me. Look at Matthew 18, though. If your brother sins against you, wait a minute, I was the offender, offender in the previous. Now Jesus is saying, if you have been offended, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Well, he should just know. Okay, let's get something straight. When a husband and wife are upset, the wife knows that her husband should know, right? Because you have a mind, you can read hers. Let's just... Ladies, men do not have brains. They cannot think that way. 
It's true. Okay? We will know what we have done when you told us. We can know there's something wrong. Did I do something wrong? That made it bad because apparently we should have known. We're dumb. We're dumb. And if you need more insight on that, look up our YouTube video sermon of the waffles and spaghetti one. It's titled, He Said What, She Said What. Okay? Look that up. It's apparently the funniest one and most applicable to this. But listen, you go tell them. That's what the scripture says. You go tell hey, you offended me. You did this and it hurt me. If he listens to you, you have gained back your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that the charge may be established and the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, hey, I've got this against you. Well, I don't care. I'm going to bring somebody else to show this is a real dispute. This is a real offense that is causing problems. You take someone with you because what is the purpose? I want my brother, my sister, my family member back. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Wait a minute. This just got big. What is the purpose? It's not to air dirty laundry. It's to show, look, we have somebody who has sinned, and they won't reconcile it. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Whoa. I come to your house and say, I'm collecting taxes for the president. What are you going to do? Yeah, I just saw someone, nope. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you anything. I'm collecting taxes for the government. They've got enough. That's how you would treat somebody who doesn't want to change their attitudes of actions of sins. If you have sinned against me and I come to you and you refuse, well, I don't really care. That's what they're saying. I don't care if I hurt your feelings. I don't care if it's wrong. You are purposely continuing to choose sin. And God does not tolerate sin and if I am a representation of God living in me and as a church, what else do we not tolerate then? We cannot tolerate sin. The whole intent, hear me on this, is not to discipline. It's not to kick people. The whole intent is to, sh to show true unity and love of God. Jesus cared so much about a relationship that he showed it to be more urgent than worship in giving your offering to God. If you're bringing a gift, remembering that somebody has something against you, you go fix it. If you know someone has offended you, you go fix it. You leave it and be restored, be reconciled. This psalm is a song that starts off first with a plea, help me God. Help me. I'm feeling the weight of my sin. I need mercy, not the punishment. And then it moves to, this community is alienating me. The next verses, 15 through 20, once again, turn to the conversation of God. Lord, I wait for you. You answer. You will answer, Lord my God. For I have said, don't let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. 
Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me, though I seek only to do what is good. Verse 18 is a great confession, but what I want to point out first is the sins here have caused division. All sins cause division, first with us and God, but also with others. But notice what he said about the others here. There are people who want to cause harm, who want to be mean, people who are not involved in the circumstance. They are not involved in the situation, and they insert themselves by saying things or doing things and cause the problem to perpetuate and get worse. We called it, when I was in youth ministry, junior high drama. Do you know when we grow out of junior high drama? I have seen junior high drama in the nursing homes. Well, he took my walker. That's what one lady actually said. Well, actually, he fell down and he used to give up. But he took my walker. And they started squabbling and fighting over it. There are so many times we jump into a drama, we cause problems, we become things because there might be some sin or perceived sin, and we choose to become enemies. That's what it's saying here. Enemies. David says, for no good reason, they choose to be enemies. Sometimes when we do something wrong, the consequences, somebody else is going to choose to be an enemy and fight against us, even though they're not involved in the situation at all. Other people will choose to be your enemy just to be your enemy. It doesn't make it right. It's just what happens. It happened to David here. And notice, David didn't go talking about it to other people. Did you see what they said about me? Did you see what they did about this? He didn't go maligning around it and trying to start these. It's not survivor here. It is going to God. The main thing here is David is talking with God. He is bringing this pain he feels, this isolation he's enduring to God. And even in the midst of the consequences of his sin, David cannot just have restoration, but he can have real relationship. David is seeking real relationship. A relationship, a real relationship is one where there is trust, where there is vulnerability, where there is acceptance, there is transparency. David says he is fully open and honest with God. And that made me wonder, how many times am I that way with God? I, I, I know he already knows everything, but do I purposely choose to be open and transparent? Do I say, God, all my desires before you? I'm not going to hide anything from you. Or do I come up and say, God, you know I'm doing this, 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 and this right. Don't look over here. But look at this. So therefore, avenge me. Or do I say, God, this is everything. This is everything. I, 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 I woke up about 2 o'clock this morning. Um... Farmers are in the fields. It's all farmers' fault again. And I can't breathe nasally. And it's not farmers here, it's the ones out west. A few more weeks or a month, it'll be the farmers here, and then I'll blame them. Okay? So don't forget, Prosser's. I'll still blame you. Um, so I couldn't breathe, but I woke up, and this thought was just pounding in my head. I said, God, why, why is this thought here? What is going on? And I just kept thinking and thinking and thinking, and I was like, what am I hiding from you? 
What am I hiding? And this verse actually came, and I'm like, okay, God. And so I just started praying. Here it all is, God. Here it all is. And then I woke up to the alarm. I actually fell back asleep. Right there, pre, uh, uh, praying to God. When I woke up and was getting ready, I was like, I did that. David here is fully open and honest with God, and I, I did it this morning. And it's not a pat on the back. It's like, why didn't I do it before? Why aren't we doing this more often? I sing the songs each week. I read scripture. I pray. I have real faith. But the relationship. You can be married to someone and not have a relationship. And that's bad. You can come to church. You can be a Christian and not have the relationship is what he's trying to say here. And if you do not have a real relationship, if I am married to Casey and I don't have a relationship, we do not have a marriage. We have a contract. But there's no relationship. If you come to church and you're doing all the things, but you do not have a relationship, you do not have a faith. You have a hobby. And here David is saying, I have real relationships. Here's everything. I have done this. I deserve this. But please give me mercy. Even the people are choosing to be enemies because they're just bored. Help me. How is your relationship with God? In times of struggle, what is your relationship with God like? Are you open and transparent, or do you blame and justify? Last part of this psalm ends again with more pleas. Verse 21, do not abandon me, my Lord. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, Lord, my salvation. Remember, this whole psalm is not just a song, but a prayer to God. And David is bowed down by his own actions. He feels the guilt and the punishment of his sins. He lays it out the truth. Both God, the community, and himself are all impacted by his sins. And my guess is we've all been there, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We know the physical burden of our sin. We know how difficult it is to not just ask God for forgiveness, but other people. We also know that our acts not only impact our community, impact our church, but they also can cause enemies. So what do we do? What do we do? Because this seems like a hopeless, sad psalm. What do we do when people go against us or abandon us because of our sins? What could David do to remove his sins? David did absolutely nothing. Nothing. He could do nothing to remove them. The high priest uh, did all there was on the annual day of atonement by applying the blood of a bull for their own sins and the sins of his family and in the most holy place. Then he'd apply all that blood. And that was just one time a year to kind of push the sins away for a bit. In David's day, that's all that was available to him. But the annual uh, ritual did not resolve them of their sins. It just pushed it back a little bit. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sin. All those years of doing those, it is impossible to take it away. It just covered it up. 
When we were younger, my mom would have us clean our rooms. I thought it was an affront to my personal freedom, but she demanded it. So I had to go in and clean my room. You know what we tried one time? We shoved it into the closet and closed the door. Guess how well that, how long that worked? Mom came in and looks nice, and it spilled out. You don't get snack, and she left. I cleaned my room. No, I just covered it up. I covered it up for a little bit. That's what this sacrifices is doing. It's just covering it up. It's not taking care of it because the bull. That blood cannot cover it. It cannot take it away. The old system was there to show when you sin, it causes death. When you lie, that causes death. When you steal, that is death. It is death of a relationship between you and God. It's death between the relationship of you and whoever it's hurting. It's death between you and your witness to the rest of the community. Sin causes death. And this old system system showed that. And there's only one way to get rid of this death. Hebrews 9 says it. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the, the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity, not true impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience. The other's exterior, this one's interior, from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the, by, by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offers himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. It isn't as though God changed his mind and said, okay, I'm going to do bulls sacrifice for an, ah, let's try something different. It was all a process to show us God will not tolerate sin. But yet he did something to give us the escape. He gave us mercy. How audacious that we would ever ask for it, and yet he does it. The sacrifice were not the ultimate goal. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. David doesn't want, or God doesn't want somebody who's just pathetic. He wants somebody who understands, I've sinned, I've caused death in our relationship, God, and I want to change that. We need to turn to God. We need to do what David does here. Accept that we sin. We need to accept it. Confess that to God and others if you need to. Seek a relationship, a restoration, and a real relationship with God. And as I was looking at this, I'm like, that's the whole gospel. Found here in Psalm 38. Imagine how the gospel, the New Testament, is found in the Old Testament. It's almost like God wrote this. This psalm ends with only one way forward. Cling to God as the Lord of salvation. Eternal relationship with God. Only God can guide us through the aftermath of our sins. And so I started closing up my, my laptop, and I thought, sermon's done. That's, that's it. And then I was, it was on Wednesday. I'm like, ah, what is it? There's something more in here. Well, I only preached one sermon, so get ready for part two. Okay. One final thought. And this one should speak to many of us here today. Many people are, are very nervous to get up in front of people and talk. 
they'd rather attend their own funeral than get up and speak in front of in public. But I love what David here. Many people are nervous to pray. I've asked people, "Would you like to do the prayer at the end of service?" No, people might hear me. Wait, that's part of the purpose. But they don't want to pray in front of people. There's a thought that speaks in our minds telling us we have to say the right phrases. We have to put them in the right order. I've said many times, uh, when I was in high, or junior high, I went to church camp, and, and we had to do dorm devos, and this kid on the top bunk over here, he prayed the first night, and oh my goodness, he must have been a preacher and preparing. Because when he prayed, heaven applauded. The way he spoke things, I was like, oh my goodness, and he's my age? And the next night, the dorm dad says, okay, Donnie, you're praying. I'm like, no, have him. He's better. Have him. And he's like, he's not better. I'm like, did you hear him? He knew all the right words. He knew the right right way to say it. Have him pray. And he had to pull me aside because I wasn't going to do it. He's better than me. And he had to teach me that it's not the phrases. It's not the wording. It's not the order of things. We think that if I, if I don't say it just right, if I don't end the prayer in Jesus' name, then it's not a real prayer. Even though you don't find that in the, in the Scriptures anywhere. Our prayers, and here's what we need to hear in Psalm 38. Our prayers do not have to be organized and polished. They need to be real. Look at Psalm 38. He jumps back and forth. He meanders through this. God, help me. My sins have hurt me. Here, I've got some stuff I want from you. Look what my sins have done. These people hurt me. God, help me. He's jumping back and forth all that. How does his problems get resolved? What is he doing here? Is it in pieces and parts? He's ricocheting between all of them. What is the purpose? If we don't have to polish and organize, look what it says. Verse 9, Lord, all my desires before you, my sighing is not hidden from you. David's bottom out here, his despair, his inability. Look at the scripture. It's as if he says in absolute honesty and surrender, Lord, I simply lay it all before you in full assurance that you know it's me, and I caused it, and you are the only remedy. That, that's what he's saying right here. You go to verse 15. For I wait for you, Lord. You answer, Lord my God. God, I don't understand what is going on. I don't get it, but I will wait on you because you are perfect. You know everything. I will wait for your answer. I will not seek my own ideas or my own answers. I'll wait for you. 18, for I admit my guilt. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. God, I confess where I actually did something wrong. See how his prayer is being very transparent here? Verse 20, do not abandon me. How many times have you felt that? God, don't, don't leave me. I feel utterly alone. Please come to me quickly. God, you are my hope. You are my saving grace. And in the midst of all this where he's bouncing back and forth, this pendulum of wanting to do what's right and he's choosing what's wrong. This pendulum of going back and forth just like Paul did, just like Donnie does, just like all of us. What does he do? He comes to God and says, God, I'm a mess. I can't figure it out. I keep ruining it. It's causing problems of my own device and problems because they choose to cause even more. Help me. 
could summarize in Psalm 38, that'd be what it is. Help me. When a little kid, we get to help with preschool every now and then, um, and when they come and they say, help me, they're really saying, I can't do this. I need your help. They are entrusting this little task of coloring in or putting stickers on or whatever it is. They want your help. When my little kids did that, when my bigger kids Dad, I need your help. Absolutely. They're knowing that they can't do it and they want some expertise because Dad knows everything. Except for what? Except for what Mom was. That's right. I don't know that. Imagine when we do that to God. God, help me. David supplies all the answers that he needs in these praise, or in this verse, in this song. It all has to do with relationship with God. What's your relationship with God like? Are you right with God? Don't say, well, I believe in God. Well, so do demons, and they're not going to heaven. Demons know there's a God. It takes relationship. Jesus didn't die so that you could come to church. He died so you could be in relationship with Him in heaven forever. So if you're really to take stock of your relationship, there are many times, I'm going to tell you right now, I struggle and I get focused on Donnie. And I turn away from what God, the real relationship, and I need to seek God and say, help me come back. Even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Help me, God. Who's here willing to do the same? Because if he answered David, a sinful man, won't he answer all of us who are sinful people, who he has called to live the heart of God? Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you that we do not have to be perfect. We thank you that in the midst of all of our struggles and our problems, that we can just come to you being authentic and open. God, there are people right now in our in this room, people who are struggling, who have these pains, this this problems, whatever it is, God, and you know what it is, we don't. But God, I ask that you would help each one of us here to finally, fully fall before you and just throw up our hands and say, it's all before you, my Lord, my Master, the Creator, my Sovereign and Authority, that we'd lay it down and finally ask for you to help us so that we can be men and women called after your heart. Help us, God, that if we need this, that we would cry out knowing because your scripture you have said never will I abandon you never will I forsake you repeat your promises to us in the midst of that and as we come back to worship you may it be more than just words may it be really the cry of our hearts that we lift up who you are and who we are in you alone and in Jesus we pray Amen